This is a hint. What day is it? This is a hint. Pentecost. Somebody knew it. It's one of those uh, days in the church year that gets a response like it just got um, um, unless you make some work of it. So I'm going to suggest Aaron make some work of it next year and tell everybody where red. Because I'm thinking some version of red probably is all over this city, right? So that shouldn't be hard to divide. Um, anyway, let, let me, uh, uh, before I get into the scripture, let me, let me set up uh, Pentecost. Pentecost is the day as we're going to see when the Spirit of God came upon those early uh, believers. Now, Pentecost uh, was actually Shabbat of the Jewish tradition. It was 50 days after Passover. So there's pilgrims still lingering in Jerusalem from Passover 50 days earlier, and some have even come, I'm sure, for Passover now. I mean, for uh, uh, Shabbat now. But here's the, the, the day was meant originally in an agrarian economy. It was meant as a celebration of the harvest coming in. And men who would come would bring 10% of their, of their grain uh, uh, for that. But over time, and it, it evolved into also celebrating the time when uh, Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and kind of getting that whole thing started. Ten Commandments, the other laws. So it became a celebration of Torah, the law, all right, for, for, for Jews. For Christians... It's 50 days after Easter. For, so for our Jewish friends, it started last night at, at, uh, when the sun went down, and it ends tomorrow night when the sun goes down. For Christians, it's simply this day, and it's a day in which we remember uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. All of these kinds of days, um, Good Friday, Easter, Ascension Day, and we actually have one of those too, okay? Pentecost, Christmas, all of those special days remember and celebrate events that happened and the, in the stories in the Bible, all right? Same is true with the, the Jewish holidays. So anyway, let, let's remember where we're at in the big story. Jesus is crucified, dead, and buried. Good Friday. Lays in the tomb all day Saturday. On Sunday, it's Easter. Jesus is raised from the dead. And uh, some women come to the tomb, find the tomb empty. Uh, the disciples are all stunned. I mean, what have they been doing during this time? They've been hiding. When we read the accounts of uh, people at the cross, we'll see some accounts of women at the cross and 
John, who's known as the beloved disciple. Otherwise, all the rest, it would appear, had abandoned Jesus and uh, were in fear. So it's a week later. Remember that story? It's a week later when Jesus walks into the room, likely the upper room where they had that last supper. You know, the, it was good that whatever his name is got the picture of the last supper. And uh, anyway, they, 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 it was this, likely the same room. And uh, Jesus just comes walking in, doesn't even open a door, remember, reveals himself as the risen one to the disciples. They needed to see it before they were going to believe it. Thomas isn't in the room. Thomas says, I won't see it or believe it until I see it. And uh, then Jesus spends, get this, he spends 40 days with them, and he talks with them about the kingdom of God. What, what does it look like where God's in control? where God's intentions are being accomplished and revealed and seen. What, what is that like? That, to me, is the kingdom of God, all right? So that's for 40 days. And then Jesus brings them um, across the, just outside of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley, to, uh, near the Garden of Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives. And remember that? He, he's, uh, uh, he's gathered them there. Um, and then he says some things to them that we want to take a quick look at. He, he says to them, and this is just before he's going to leave them, remember? He says, do not leave Jerusalem. He gives them a command, then a promise, then another command. Listen to it. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized, John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Skipping down a few verses. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. For the first command is go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait's the first command. You're not ready for this. <laughs> You're just not ready. Not until you've been empowered. Not until the Spirit uh, is, uh, is there with you, there upon you, there within you. All right? So go and wait. And uh, then he makes the promise. Because you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then the other command, and you will be my disciples to the ends of the Ends of the earth. So the disciples do what they're told. They go back to Jerusalem. I'd suggest they go back to the same room that they'd been in. It's a pretty good sized room. And uh, uh, Luke, the author of Acts, records that there's 120 people gathered, it sounds like, on a consistent basis in that room. 120 people. And it's not just men, it's women. Something's happening. Here, ladies, you know, it's women who first saw the empty tomb. And now women are among the gathering that's in the upper room. Even the number 120 is interesting to me. I, I don't know. I really don't know for sure what it means. I find it interesting for this reason. 
Um, it took in those days 10 males, men age 13 and bar mitzvah and older, take 10 males to form a, uh, a synagogue. Remember, there were little villages all around. But it took 10 men to uh, form a synagogue. And the multiplier of 10 to get to 120 is 12. How many tribes of Israel? 12. How many disciples? 12. What's, what's going on, on here? Maybe, maybe that's insignificant. I just, I just find it significant. And I find it significant again that it's not just men. It's men and women. The story begins to involve all. And then we come 10 days later. They're gathered in that room. They've chosen a replacement for Judas. Remember, the betrayer. So the 11 are back to 12 again. And they're in that room. And then uh, this happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. It sounded like, notice this is almost metaphorical language. It, it's trying to, trying to put into words that which is beyond words. So you use descriptive words. It, it seemed like this. It felt like this. It seemed like fire from, uh, uh, from heaven. It seemed like the blowing of a wind from heaven. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. They'd been there probably for Passover and Pentecost. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Over the years, Jews had been dispersed, sent into exile by whatever bully on the block happened to be there at the time. Assyria, Babylon, whatever. They heard this sound, those who were outside. They heard this sound. A, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? That means they're from the area of Galilee where Jesus did most of his ministry, along Lake Galilee. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Pergia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. I mean, they're, they're, every nation, they're, they, they want us to hear that. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, 
They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. I need to drink enough wine someday to be able to speak Spanish. <laughs> don't, you, don't you think? Or, or what, what other tongue do you want to speak? It's just, it just drink enough wine and you'll, and you'll get there. So here's, here's the deal. I, what's going on here? Um, it, it's, it's just this, this amazing thing that happens to the disciples, just as Jesus said it would. And it doesn't just happen to the twelve. It happened to all of them gathered in that room. Okay? All of them who were there. That's what the story says. The tongues of fire separated and came on each of them. All of them in that room. And, uh, and it's called being filled with the filled with the Spirit. And what does that mean? I mean, <laughs> debates have gone on about that. Um, denominations have been either founded upon that or divided upon that. I mean, surprise, surprise, right? Right? It, it, but what does it mean? I'm not 100% sure. But I know this from the story. Something happened and something changed. Something changed in those early followers of Jesus. I mean, think about it. Think about them. Think about the time approaching the death of Jesus on a cross. Remember, he's pretty much abandoned. They're living in fear. A week after Easter, they're locked. They're locked in a room. The story says, for fear of the Jews. In other words, for fear that the same thing might happen to them. That's what's going on in the story. That's who they are. And it takes Jesus 40 days to be with them, to tell them about the kingdom of God, to even get them close to ready to do what he's called them to do, to tell his story to the ends of the earth. This is who they are. Let, let's read just a little bit further, okay? Peter addresses the crowd. This is right after some have made fun of them and they have had too much line. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. I don't want to miss that. Peter stood up with the eleven. I realize that I so often have read this passage and missed the fact that the 11 were standing up with Peter. Because this is about Peter's sermon and what Peter has to say. But the other 11 were standing up with him, side by side with him. This wasn't just his statement. It wasn't just his sermon. It was theirs as well. All of them together all of a sudden, boldly ready to declare the good news about Jesus. Now, I'm not going to read Peter's whole, whole sermon. You can do that on your own. But here, here's what happens. Jesus, uh, Peter very quickly gets to the story of Jesus because Jesus for him is the center of the story. Jesus for him drives this movement. Jesus for him uh, drives his very life. But he is now filled with the Spirit, 
whatever that looks like or whatever that means, he is now ready to be a witness for Jesus in the world. And I'd suggest to you that when the Spirit came upon those early believers, it came upon the church. There are those who call Pentecost the church's birthday. I don't subscribe to that. I have no clue when the church was born. Some say when Jesus came. Who wants to go there? What I know is the Spirit came, and there's no evidence in this book that the Spirit left. In the Old Testament, you'll read stories. Saul would be a major one. The Spirit of God came upon him. You know what happened later on in his life? The Spirit left him. And an evil spirit came. You don't read that in the rest of this book. In the, in the, the Spirit came. Friends, the Spirit is still here. Whether you see a tongue of fire, whether you hear a violent wind, the Spirit is here. And I believe each and every one of us who has committed ourselves to the story of Jesus and trying to figure it out, figure out what it means to live the story of Jesus. I think that all of us are filled with the Spirit. So what happened? I just don't know, but I know that an invasion occurred. I'll call it an invasion from beyond. I'll call it that because I don't know what else to call it. In that day, you, you remember... Jesus goes up. He says these things to the disciples. Remember that on the, on Mount, and then he ascends into heaven and disappears into the cloud. All right. I don't absolutely know what happened that day either. I know that in their own language, and I know that God was dealing them in their own context, in their own setting, with their own minds, scientific knowledge that we have, they did not have. <laughs> All right, so they didn't know that that uh, Jesus could Jesus going up. Uh, they didn't know what that for us. We know what that means. Ooh, where in outer space did he go? But for them, the Earth is flat. There's a dome over that flat Earth. There's stars and sun and moon. There's all these things hanging from the dome, and beyond the dome is the realm of heaven. God's realm, and below is the abyss, below the... You know, that that was their concept of the world in which they lived. So, Jesus, well, I don't... I don't know that heaven's up. Maybe it's just a step away. You know, I, I don't know, but it... What happened that day was an invasion from beyond. And I, I want to tell you a story. I'm going to read you a story that I, that I think really drives this home for you and me and makes it just downright practical for you and me. It's a story told by John Ortberg, who's one of my favorite preachers and teachers and authors. Ortberg uh, suggests that uh, uh, that Christians who want to live this whole thing out of being a witness before a watching world. He says, start by asking yourself this question. 
Where do I want to see God's presence and power break into my world? Where would I especially like God to use me to make things down here run the way they do up there? He's playing off the prayer of Jesus, by the way. He just hasn't told us that yet. But he's playing off the prayer of Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it already is in heaven. Where would I especially like God to use me to make things down here run the way they do up there? And then he tells this wonderful story. God, make up there, come down here. Three women from the church I serve prayed this prayer one day. They were on a women's retreat, but they were playing hooky from a session that was being taught by my wife. And they started dreaming together about being kingdom bringers. Eventually, they came to one of our pastors called J.D. and told him about their dreams. What do you want to do, he asked. They told him they wanted to save all the babies in Africa. J.D. told them that was kind of, a, kind of big for a starter project. So would they be willing to begin by trying to spend the day helping out an under-resourced school? So the women started to pray, God, make up there, come down here for this little school in East Palo Alto. This is over in California. In our area, says Ortberg, one of the big barriers is the Route 101 freeway that separates East Palo Alto from Palo Alto. Palo Alto is the home of Stanford University and Silicon Valley. It was listed recently in Forbes magazine as the number one area in the world to live in if you want to get rich. East Palo Alto is an under-resourced community right next door. A few years ago, it led the nation in murders per capita. This group of women schemed and prayed and planned and came up with a challenge. How about having 1,000 people from our church give up a day? That's a big church, by the way, if you haven't gathered. 1,000 people from our church to give up a day to plant trees and tile floors and paint mirrors, murals at this school. I didn't think there was any way we could get a thousand people to do this, but I said I would announce it and see what happens. We ended up having to cut off signups at 1,200 people because we couldn't handle any more volunteers. The best part was watching God present and at work in ways none of us could have planned. A young co-ed loved this. A young co-ed was visiting church from college and heard about this plan. Not only did she want to come, but when she went back to school and told her sorority, they wanted to come too. So we ended up with over a thousand people from our church and 30 sorority sisters. This meant that scores of single young males suddenly felt God prompting them to serve as well. Some people were talking to an East Palo Alto city official about this at a Starbucks 
And he told the store manager, you ought to donate enough coffee for all these people on Saturday morning. And the Starbucks guy said, okay. The city official decided to go for broke. You ought to deliver it too. The Starbucks guy said, okay. The three women went to Home Depot. They had no titles or credentials, just the conviction that God would help them bring up there to down here. He told the Home Depot guy what they were up to and then said, we need $10,000 worth of equipment. We don't have any money for this. You ought to just donate it. Home Depot guy said, okay. They were talking to a woman who doesn't attend the church. By now, you can fill in the conversation details by yourself. The school ended up getting $20,000 worth of playground material for free. For a whole day, there was music blaring and balloons flying and five-year-olds serving next to 85-year-olds and people working together from churches of every stripe and ethnicity. It was the single most joyous day I have seen a church have. Those of us who served were blessed far beyond those we offered services to. And it was because of a single prayer. Help us make up there. Come down here. Somehow, some way, that's what happened at Pentecost. Somehow, some way, up there, came down here. And I'd suggest to you it is now I was going to say our responsibility, but let's not go. It is our calling to do everything we can to bring up there, down here, that the kingdom of God, that the will of God may descend from heaven to earth. But what, what does that mean? What does it mean for you? I, I don't want to go to some concrete examples that come out of my mind. And I want, I want you to think about that for yourselves. How do you envision the world in which we live if it were the world as God intended? Reflect on that and ask yourself, what does that world look like? And how can I help that world, the world that everything in me and in our book, by the way, describes, what, what would it look like? What must I do in response so that I can help <laughs> make up there come down here where we live and move and have our being. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And by the way, last week at the bridge, pretty dang good start. Oh, two thumbs up.
Let's pray together.